Chapter Twenty Eight of the Hand of Fu Manchu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Hand of Fu Manchu by Sax Romer. Chapter Twenty Eight. The Mandarin Kai Ming. Nayland Smith strode up and down the little sitting room, tugging almost savagely at the lobe of his left ear. Tonight his increasing greyness was very perceptible, and with his feverishly bright eyes staring straight before him, he looked haggard and ill despite the deceptive tan of his skin. "'Petrie,' he began in his abrupt fashion, "'I am losing confidence in myself.' "'Why?' I asked in surprise. "'I hardly know. For some occult reason I feel afraid.' "'Afraid?' "'Exactly. Afraid. There is some deep mystery here that I cannot fathom. In the first place, if they had really meant you to remain ignorant of the place at which the episodes described by you occurred, they would scarcely have dropped you at the end of Portland Place.' "'You mean?' "'I mean that I don't believe you were taken to the Chinese legation at all. Undoubtedly you saw the Mandarin Kai Ming. I recognize him from your description.' "'You have met him, then?' "'No, but I know those who have. He is undoubtedly a very dangerous man, and it is just possible—' He hesitated, glancing at me strangely. "'It is just possible,' he continued musingly, "'that his presence marks the beginning of the end. Fu Manchu's health may be permanently impaired.' and Kai Ming may have superseded him. But if what you suspect, Smith, be only partly true, with what object was I seized and carried to that singular interview, what was the meaning of the whole solemn farce? Its meaning remains to be discovered, he answered, but that the Mandarin is amicably disposed I refuse to believe. You may dismiss the idea. In dealing with Kai Ming we are to all intents and purposes dealing with Fu Manchu. To me this man's presence means one thing— we are about to be subjected to attempts along slightly different lines. I was completely puzzled by Smith's tone. You evidently know more of this man, Kai Ming, than you have yet explained to me, I said. Nayland Smith pulled out the blackened briar and began rapidly to load it. He is a graduate, he replied, of the Lama College, or Monastery, of Rosh Sharan. This does not enlighten me. Having got his pipe going well... "'What do you know of animal magnetism?' snapped Smith. The question seemed so wildly irrelevant that I stared at him in silence for some moments then. "'Certain powers, sometimes grouped under that head, are recognized in every hospital to-day,' I answered shortly. "'Quite so. And the monastery of Reishiran is entirely devoted to the study of the subject. "'Do you mean that that gentle old man—' Petrie, a certain Monsieur Sokolov, a Russian gentleman whose acquaintance I made in Mandalay, related to me an episode that took place at the house of the Mandarin, Kai Ming, in Canton. It actually occurred in the presence of Monsieur Sokolov, and therefore is worthy of your close attention. He had had certain transactions with Kai Ming, and at their conclusion received an invitation to dine with the Mandarin. The entertainment took place in a sort of loggia or open pavilion, immediately in front of which was an ornamental lake, with numerous water-lilies growing upon its surface. One of the servants, I think his name was Lai, dropped a silver bowl containing orange flower water for pouring upon the hands, and some of the contents lightly sprinkled Monsieur Sokolov's garments. Kai Ming spoke no word of rebuke, Petrie. He merely looked at Lai with those deceptive, gazelle-like eyes. Lai, according to my acquaintance's account, began to make palpable and increasingly anxious attempts to look elsewhere rather than into the mild eyes of his implacable master. 
Monsieur Sokolov, who, up to that moment, had entertained similar views to your own respecting his host, regarded this unmoving stare of Kaimings as a sort of kindly, because silent, reprimand. The behaviour of the unhappy lie was speedily served to disabuse his mind of that delusion. Petrie, the man grew livid. His whole body began to twitch and shake as though an ague had attacked him, and his eyes protruded hideously from their sockets. Monsieur Sokolov assured me that he felt himself turning pale, when Kai Ming very slowly raised his right hand and pointed to the pond. Lai began to pant as though engaged in a life-and-death struggle with a physically superior antagonist. He clutched at the posts of the loggia with frenzied hands, and a bloody froth came to his lips. He began to move backward, step by step, step by step, all the time striving with might and main to prevent himself from doing so. His eyes were set rigidly upon Kai Ming, like the eyes of a rabbit fascinated by a python. Kai Ming continued to point. Right to the brink of the lake the man retreated, and there, for one dreadful moment, he paused and uttered a sort of groaning sob. Then, clutching his fists frenziedly, he stepped back into the water and immediately sank among the lilies. Kai Ming continued to gaze fixedly at the spot where bubbles were rising, and presently up came the livid face of the drowning man, still having those glazed eyes turned immovably upon the mandarin. For nearly five seconds that hideous, distorted face gazed from amid the mass of blooms, and then it sank again and rose no more. "'What?' I cried. "'Do you mean to tell me?' Kai Ming struck a gong. Another servant appeared with a fresh bowl of water, and the Mandarin calmly resumed his dinner. I drew a deep breath and raised my hand to my head. "'It is almost unbelievable,' I said. "'But what completely passes my comprehension is his allowing me to depart unscathed, having once held me in his power.' Why the long harangue and the pose of friendship? That point is not so difficult. What? That does not surprise me in the least. You may recollect that Dr. Fu Manchu entertains for you an undoubted affection, distinctly Chinese in its character, but nevertheless an affection. There is no intention of assassinating you, Petrie. I am the selected victim. I started up. Smith, what do you mean? What danger other than that which has threatened us for over two years threatens us to-night? Now you come to the point which does puzzle me. I believe I stated a while ago I was afraid. You have placed your finger upon the cause of my fear. What threatens us to-night? He spoke the words in such a fashion that they seemed physically to chill me. The shadows of the room grew menacing. The very silence became horrible. I longed with a terrible longing for company, for the strength that is in numbers. I would have had the place full to overflowing, for it seemed that we too, condemned by the mysterious organization called the Sea Fan, were at that moment surrounded by the entire arsenal of horrors at the command of Dr. Fu Manchu. I broke that morbid silence. My voice had assumed an unnatural tone. "'Why do you dread this man, Kai Ming, so much?' "'because he must be aware that I know he is in London.' "'Well?' "'Dr. Fu Manchu has no official status. "'Long ago his legation denied all knowledge of his existence. "'But the Mandarin, Kai Ming, is known to every diplomat in Europe, Asia, and America also. "'Only I, and now yourself, know that he is a high official of the Sea Fan. 
Kaiming is aware that I know. Why, therefore, does he risk his neck in London? He relies upon his national cunning. Petrie, he is aware that I hold evidence to hang him, either here or in China. He relies upon one thing, upon striking first and striking surely. Why is he so confident? I do not know. Therefore, I am afraid. Again, a cold shudder ran icily through me. A piece of coal dropped lower into the dying fire, and my heart leapt wildly. Then, in a flash, I remembered something. Smith, I cried, the letter! We have not looked at the letter! Nayland Smith laid his pipe upon the mantelpiece and smiled grimly. From his pocket he took out a square piece of paper and thrust it close under my eyes. I remembered it as I passed your borrowed garment, which bears no maker's name, on my way to the bedroom for matches, he said. The paper was covered with Chinese characters. What does it mean? I demanded breathlessly. Smith uttered a short, mirthless laugh. It states that an attempt of a particularly dangerous nature is to be made upon my life to-night, and it recommends me to guard the door, and advises that you watch the window overlooking the court, and keep your pistol ready for instant employment. He stared at me oddly. How should you react in the circumstances, Petrie? I should strongly distrust such advice. What else could we do? There are several alternatives, but I prefer to follow the advice of Kai Ming. The clock of St. Paul's chimed the half-hour, half-past two. End of chapter 28